The talk you are about to hear is by Roshi Amala Wrightson, teacher at the Auckland Zen Center. Just in case it doesn't work, Adrian, we can take the recording off this, can we? Okay. okay. Um, today is the 13th of February, 2024, and we're going to continue to read from and comment on uh, verses from Affirming Faith and Mind. Um, this long chant or poem is uh, attributed to the third ancestor of Zen, uh, Master Janja Sungsan, died in, in 606. I have been saying that there's very little with it, that we know about uh, the third ancestor, but there is a little bit which um, we can access in Andy Ferguson's book, Zen's Chinese Heritage. Um, he says there that according to the transmission of the lamp, uh, Sung San was forced by the political persecution of Buddhism during his era to remain out of sight, living inconspicuously among the general population. With so little reliable evidence about Sung Sin's life, some scholars doubt his existence, yet the lack of evidence may be due to the severe suppression of Buddhism by the government during the years 574 to 77. According to Chinese historical records, the government of this era attempted to exterminate Buddhism by closing temples, destroying written records and monuments, and defrocking much of the Buddhist cl clergy. And I, I have a note here, I'm not sure what the source of this is, that at the same time, they also pu uh, persecuted Zoro Zoroastrians, uh, Nestorians, and Christians. According to tradition, after receiving drama transmission from Huayka, second ancestor, Sung San lived on Mount Wonggong in Shuzhou to avoid the upheaval predicted by the 27th ancestor in India, Prajnatara. This was um, Bodhidharma's teacher who made predictions about the, 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 the about Bodhidharma and about the situation that he would be would go into in China. But um, maybe because we have such. Uh, an extraordinary level of religious freedom. It can be ha hard for us to to really appreciate what it was like then and and having to um, secrete oneself away um, in order to, to pr preserve the Dharma and to preserve oneself. 
that we could perhaps think seriously on this and that there's um, ever increasing amounts of, of um, war, famine, oppression, that um, these, these things stoke the fires of extremism and it's, uh, read, heard so, something the other day about um, it was a singer's CDs being burned by people who, who disapproved of her. So these, these things can balloon into, into really dangerous types of atmosphere. But anyway, back to our main, our main topic here. The, the next verse in, in the um, Affirming Faith and Mind goes like this. From small mind come rest and unrest, but mind awakened transcends both. From small mind come rest and unrest, but mind awakened transcends both. Um, in another translation, rest and... and um, no rest are translated as tranquility and confusion. So we can, one way of interpreting this, interpreting this rest is, is um, samadhi, deep concentration, and unrest or, or no rest, um, uh, the Saha world, the confusion of, of um, existence. a little bit of Master Sheng Yen's comment here. Before enlightenment, people distinguished between a quiescent stage, which they called nirvana, and they want to live in a chaotic state, which they call samsara. They want to leave samsara behind and enter nirvana. But seeking to leave the world of noise and confusion to get to a peaceful, restful place is like looking for a rabbit with horns. In other words, something that's non-existent. There is no Buddha Dharma to be found outside this world. In the Platform Sutra, the sixth ancestor says that to leave the world is to be in the world. Because, of course, it creates a dichotomy between oneself and the world. The true practitioner does not despise a chaotic environment, nor does she need to go deep into the mountains. She just flows with causes and conditions. Wherever she is, that is the place, her place of practice. She does not feel cramped in a crowded place, nor does she feel lonely in an isolated place. If, if we can live and give ourselves fully to whatever activity we're um, uh, called upon to do, then the sense of, of uh, needing to find another another world 
um, disappears. There's just this. We can get a, a sense of the of the and a feel for this this fully uniting with whatever we're doing in a story which Master Dogen tells. It's in his um, um, instructions for for the cook. It's when he's in China and he's um, traveling around to different temples having arrived in China by boat. And he comes across a, a Tenzo, a, a cook, in, um, in the courtyard of a temple. He, he comes across this, this bareheaded uh, Tenzo with a bamboo stick in his hand earnestly drying some mushrooms in front of the Buddha hall. The sun's rays beat down on him, causing him to perspire profusely. Still, he continued to move here and there, drying the mushrooms, presumably t turning them so that they get, they get exposed to the sun on all sides. Moved by this sight, Dogen drew near him and asked, what is your Buddhist age? This means, um, how many years have, have you been a monk? And he says, uh, 68. So probably couldn't get ordained younger than about 10. So this, this, this Tenzo monk, this cook, head cook monk, is, is probably at least 78. Dogen's response was, why don't you make the other cooking monks under your supervision do it? And the Tenzo monk replies, they are not me. And then Dogen says, you are really one with Buddhism, but I wonder why you work so hard in the burning sun. When else can I do it but now? He says, when else can I do it but now? This is the beauty of um, the, the responsibility of cooking. There's so much of it is to do with timing. And when do you dry mushrooms effectively? When it's hot, when the sun is beating down. These, the, the foods, the, the, the uh, preparation makes demands on us and we respond, give ourselves fully to the task. Next verse. Delusions spawn dualities. These dreams are merely flowers of air. Why work so hard at grasping them? Flowers of air was a... Um, 
a way that in, in, in ancient China they talked about um, optical illusions, um, sometimes to do with one's, one's eyesight being problematic. Perhaps, perhaps like we would say, oh, I have, I have floaters in my eyes, create shapes that one sees in, in the sky on the blank surfaces. Delusions spawn dualities. These dreams are merely flowers of air. Why work so hard at grasping them? Delusions spawn dualities. Delusions about self and other. Magister Xingyin says, um, some examples of, du of dualities or opposites are you and me, Buddha and sentient beings, Nirvana and samsara, wisdom and ignorance. In the Platform Sutra, the sixth ancestor enumerates 36 pairs of opposites. One who seeks wisdom and rejects ignorance as if they were opposites is delusion, deluded. A person who thinks of himself as wise is full of self-pride. On the other hand, a person who thinks of himself as ignorant is full of self-pity. But, but both of these extremes um, orbit around the self, this, this naughty self that, that we create. He talks about these two, these two um, sides of the continuum, self-pity and self-pride. Some people approach retreat as if they were a caterpillar hoping to transform themselves into a beautiful butterfly. This kind of motivation is an obstacle to practice. During retreat, I use various means to inspire you to practice, using harsh, including harsh language. To take this to heart, and consider yourself a worthless, incapable person, or else to fight back and deny what I say, are both incorrect attitudes. My aim is to whittle down your self-pride or self-pity. However harshly I may seem to treat you, do not dwell on it and feel sorry for yourself, nor should you feel happy if I praise you. However, from my point of view, I have to discern between the types of practitioners some do not react well under pressure. They are like tender bean sprouts that have to be treated gently. Others, whose practice has matured somewhat, can handle more forceful techniques. The more they are pressured, the better they do. You could say um, when people react strongly one way or the other to the words of the teacher, they're, they're reacting to uh, flowers in the air, something quite insubstantial. But Xingyin also mentions here the need for, for the teacher to gauge what is really helpful for the student and what isn't. 
he continues. From the age of 10, I have always seen flower-like images in the sky. This is due to a malfunction of my eyesight, but I have learned not to pay any attention to them. Whatever you consider to be solid or real are only flowers in the air. Given even genuine achievements are still false in the sense that they are not permanent. And he goes into um, talk about this aerospace company in the States that was selling people um, uh, the chance to have their ashes uh, sh um, sent into into space to, to and they advertised that they would um, these these canisters of ashes would would spin around the the orbit of the earth for 36,000 years <laughs> even though this seems like an eternity it's only about nine times the length of civilized history the time will eventually pass the earth itself will disappear there is no sense in trying to make it more real It's, it can sometimes help to put our struggles and our difficulties into perspective by just reminding us that within a hundred years, more or less, we'll all be gone. We won't be here. He says, what, from the time we are born up to the present moment, not much time has elapsed. Not too long from now, we will die. Nothing much has really transpired in that period of time. Faced with this situation and seeing how temporary everything is, we are impelled to seek something permanent and real, but there is nothing like that to be found. What we do uncover is this nothing. People sometimes ask Chan masters, what happened to you? What did you realize? And the master will often give a cryptic reply, such as cows eating grass, or I wonder where this clothing was made. Why don't they just say something like, I had a great enlightenment experience, I really did. Now I understand what the Buddha is all about. They do not answer this way, because the idea of a special, incomparable enlightenment is an illusion, and they know that. At a retreat once, a student had a small experience, and later I asked him, how do you feel now? He said, ah, the rice is really tasty. But if nothing is real or lasting, what is the point of coming to retreat and practicing Chan? What is the point in coming out on a Tuesday night to a sitting? Wait for his answer. The point of practice, of course, is to practice. You may come to realize that everything around you, as well as whatever you seek out of life, is illusory. The ordinary person does not know this. Even if you convince yourself intellectually that everything is illusory, you may still have a lurking concept of the reality of things, of the reality of things, and be attached to them. 
to be able to actually treat them as a transient is another thing entirely. We attach to them or averse to them. If we get strong attachments coming up or aversion coming up, there's a, that's a sure sign that we've got still got work to do. Blake called them man-made manacles. Sorry, mind-made manacles. This heavy burden weighs you down, as it says elsewhere in affirming faith in mind. Verses. Both gain and loss and right and wrong, once and for all, get rid of them. Gain and loss and right and wrong, once and for all, get rid of them. Um, this may be a reference to the eight worldly winds. These are the um, things which most ruffle our feathers, and among, among them are gain and loss, but also... Um, Pain and pleasure, blame and praise, and um, Ill, Ill repute and pain, fame. So it's the two, four, four sets of two, two um, dualities. So we, we have a fear of pain and loss and blame and ill repute, and we have a desire for pleasure and gain, praise and fame. These are, the, these are the things that, that get under our skin, particularly in our relationships. That's where they come up. And we can, we can relate this in a very down-to-earth way to our, to our sitting practice. Xing Yin says, some of you had pleasant experiences today. Others just ended up with aching legs. If you spend your time hoping that a pleasant experience will return or trying to avoid pain, you will become more aware of the passing of time. It'll pass at snail's praise. You will feel restless and think, today has gone by already and I've wasted my time. Some people have this attitude when after a day or two they feel they have not made any progress. They tell themselves they could be doing so many other things at home or furthering their career. If you feel you ha that you ha have got nowhere, discard this attitude immediately. If you continue to dwell on these things, you probably will give up and go home. All of us, I think, have these, have these um, thoughts come up sooner or later. But the key is that we don't fully believe them, that we let them put them down, that we put them aside. We understand that they're no, nothing more than flowers in the air.
Next verse. When you no longer are asleep, all dreams will vanish by themselves. If, we, if our eyes are open, then these uh, dreams, these flowers in the air will dissolve. These, these dreams covers a lot of ground. Our delusions, our um, wandering thoughts, our inattention. In another translation of this, they say, if the eyes do not close in sleep, all dreams will cease of themselves. The eyes are your awareness. The instant you lose awareness of just what you're doing at the moment, you are dreaming. Dreaming means being carried away by your wandering thoughts and unable to stop them. As in actual dreams, these wandering thoughts are either connected with the past or anticipate the future. They are not concerned with the present because the present is just keeping your mind on your method, on your breath or the koan or you're just sitting. This is when we're manifesting our, our awake nature, when we're paying attention. It's very helpful to be to remember this in terms of uh, when the, the practice feels distant or feels unreachable. To remember that the practice is be just being aware of whatever is going on. It includes those times when the practice feels unreachable, unreachable or ungraspable. continues. People often concentrate intensely on the method for a short time and then say, well, I'll take a break now. I'll just put the method aside and let my mind wander a little bit. This is a wrong way to practice. Using the method can be likened to pumping air into a tire. The minute you stop pumping, the air starts to leak and the tire will eventually go flat. You may think that by putting down the method and re relaxing for a while, you're recharging your energy. In fact, what you're really doing is letting the air out of your tires. Another, another image that can be used for this is of um, paddling a canoe upstream. Unless you keep paddling, that the, the force of that water will, will take you downstream. This is a common thing among beginners. They often make the mistake of exerting physical energy to fight against the wandering thoughts. As a result, their bodies become tense and the blood rushes to their heads. And after a time, they feel the need to relax. But those who know how to work well summon up their concentration in a clear, relaxed manner. They do not belabor themselves with an excess of physical energy 
or struggle with their method. Instead, they maintain a natural moment-to-moment -moment awareness. Um, sometimes people will get overwrought and have to find a way to, to hold the practice in a balanced and relaxed way. What makes us overwrought is, is not the fact that we have a practice, but the way that we hold it, and the way that we tense up in our struggle to um, enter the, the, the practice or become one with it. This lucid awareness should not only be practiced while sitting, but also when you are eating and working. Let everything else drop away and concern yourself only with the practice. If you can do this uninterruptedly for a period of time, I guarantee all of your dreams will disappear, including your method. But in fact, your mind is totally on the method then. So this experience of the... Um, practice disappearing when we're really fully concentrated. He goes into this a little bit. It is common for people to want a vacation after working hard, but during their the vacation, their minds will scatter and their concentration will dissipate. If you alternate work and vacation in this way, you will never get beyond a certain level of practice. By practicing daily meditation and going on retreats, at least you are pumping the air in the tire to some extent. But you should be aware that this kind of interrupted practice is not the ideal approach to Chan. What's, what's really important is, is um, not that our practice is a certain quality at all times, but that there is, there is a continuity of effort or application that's that's what we can we can learn to do. Next verse is, um, when all is seen with equal mind, to our self-nature we return. This mind, this mind that is even, mind of equanimity. If mind does not discriminate, when you do not discriminate, you see everything as one. There is no difference between mind and body, inside and outside. Your mind is unified. You have left behind the sense of small self and have entered the state of great self. You are imbued with tremendous confidence. If you want to call this oneness enlightenment, there is nothing wrong with that, but it is not Chan enlightenment. To experience Chan, you must probe the mysterious essence of suchness. You must probe the mysterious essence of suchness.
I have emphasised that when there is a sense of one, then there is actually two. To go a step forward, when you sense that even one does not exist, this is the experience of wu, or emptiness. That's the Chinese word for mu. But because you have a concept of emptiness, your mind is still subtly present. Ultimately, even mu, wu, does not exist. Emptiness is still within the three realms of existence, but this is already more advanced than just non-discrimination. The three realms of, of existence are the realms of desire, form, and no form. And there are a way that in Buddhist cosmology, the different realms of existence or the different way, states of mind, you could say, are uh, divided up. But they, the, the important point here is that they are still um, unenlightened existence. They're still uh, dualistic in some subtle ways. Chan is a lively practice that does not neglect the world. The six-part patriarch said, Samadhi is not Chan. Samadhi is not Chan. Practitioners of Chan lead normal lives. They do not speak of oneness or emptiness. The only difference is that there are no obstructions or attachments in their mind. Why do Chan practitioners not speak? of oneness or emptiness. What happens when you speak of something? This is how we, we, take, we take our experience and we cut it up into pieces. When all is seen with equal mind, to our self-nature we return. No dualism there. skipping around here a wee bit. He says, if you let go of every thought object, there will be nothing to distinguish yourself from, and you will disappear. Today, someone remarked, I still have a self left. I have to get rid of the, the self. I said, self is not something you can get rid of. Self is not inside. It is not identical to your body or your mind. Rather, self is precisely the object of all your thoughts and actions. Other than this, there is no self. Can, you, can your mind have no object? Usually we think of the method as something we can rely on, as a bridge to get us across the river. But Chan is really the method of no method. There is no bridge provided, because there is no river 
If you let go of your attaching mind, at that very moment you are enlightened. If you let go of your attaching mind, at that very moment you are enlightened. This is what Master Dogen called mind and body dropping away. He continues, practice is a foolish endeavor, like climbing a crystal mountain covered with oil. As you try to climb, you constantly slip back down. Nevertheless, you have no choice. You must continue climbing. You climb until you are completely exhausted, and suddenly you find yourself on top of the mountain. But you realize that you are still at the original spot. If you have not covered any distance at all, why was it necessary to climb the mountain? The answer is that before you started climbing, you did not realize that you were already at the top of the mountain. Only a fool would try to climb a slippery crystal mountain. If you are intelligent, you should go home right now. However, if you are willing to recognize being a fool, then take the time to climb the mountain. He's got a good sense of humor, has Master Sheng Yin. If you are willing to recognize being a fool, then take the time to climb the mountain. Who would want to do a practice that basically culminated in their recognizing that they were a fool? in one more, one more little phrase. And this one, I'm going to take it from the Xing Yin translation because I think our, our version is quite opaque. So this, is, this verse goes, stop activity and there is no activity. When activity stops, there is no rest. Since two cannot be established, how can there be one? And again, he, he, he he presses home this point that it is not necessary to stop our wandering thoughts. The reason is that movement and rest are not in opposition. And but if there is no such duality, then there can is no oneness to speak of either. He says, we call this retreat a Chan retreat, but actually it is just a suffering or training retreat. Chan is methodless, but everyone here is using certain methods. The purpose of the methods is to replace our wandering thoughts, but the methods themselves are wandering thoughts, they're, they're thoughts. Therefore, to use a method to stop the activity of your thoughts is in itself an activity there can be no such thing as rest. Let us talk about rest. In samadhi, the mind moves so slowly, it feels as if there were, it were rest. But this rest is only relative. Even if you get to the highest level of samadhi, the so-called neither thinking nor not thinking samadhi, your mind is still moving in a subtle way. However, most people would understand this to be rest. On the other hand, 
it is possible for the mind to seem to be at rest even when it is moving fast. To illustrate, one can copy a two-hour tape lecture onto a, another tape in the space of one minute. But if you listen to the lecture as you, it is being copied, you will not be able to distinguish the various words. You could hear only a single sound. We, we used to, at the Zen Center, we used to have one of these machines that would copy tapes at high speed and, and you'd just sort of hear a sound as they, as they made their copies. Likewise, a person with an agile mind can resolve many problems without effort. He would not be conscious of any strenuous mental activity. The person with slower mental faculties, however, may sense more vexations <coughs> and feel that his mind has gone through a lot of thinking when actually it has dealt with fewer problems. The, 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 the point that we can take from these comparisons is that um, rest and no rest are relative. They still pertain to the, the relative world. I think we'll stop. We'll stop there today and save the rest for the another one more tape show on the firming faith in mind. without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.org dot org dot nz